The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, good morning, good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, welcome. If you're online, we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you are here this morning. I'm grateful that we have multiple opportunities to gather together as a church this morning. And so before we just dive into the scriptures today, can we just thank our worship team? Don't they do a great job leading us? Great job. Great job. Well, if you're a Lakers fan this morning, congratulations. Another NBA's final. Any Lakers fans? One, one, one. All right. Well, hey, we appreciate you too. We'll clap with you. All right. You know, LeBron gets all the attention. LeBron gets all the attention, doesn't he? But uh, there's other guys on the Lakers team and excited to be a, a Lakers fan at least for the next seven games or so. And, uh, but there's other guys on the team. I we watched this series this week on Disney Plus called Becoming. I don't know if you guys have seen that series. Maybe some of you guys have worked on it. But uh, we watched this series called uh, on Becoming uh, on Disney Plus on Anthony Davis. He's a player for the Lakers. I don't know if you know this about Anthony Davis. Even though LeBron gets all the attention, he's the, Davis is the 44th highest paid athlete in the entire world. Like The Lakers are stacked with players. And I also don't know if you know this, but we found this out this week as we were watching the series. But in, as a sophomore in high school, Anthony Davis was an unknown player. He's six foot two. Nobody knew who he was. He had one scholarship offered to an unknown school in Cleveland, Ohio, Cleveland State University. And, uh, but by the time he was a senior, Anthony Davis had grown from six foot two to six foot 11. <laughs> six two to six foot 11. He went from being completely unknown to being the number one player in high school basketball. He was the first draft pick in 2012. Uh, he went to Kentucky first and then was drafted number one in 2012. Just an unbelievable basketball player. Can you imagine if you're six foot two as a sophomore in high school and you grow to six foot 11 in a year and a half? Some of you parents know what I'm getting at, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm buying new clothes, new shoes every single week, right? And so can you imagine all the challenges that he's walking through going from 6'2 and being unknown to 6'11 and being the most known basketball player in the country? He was a, a guard, and now he's learning how to post up and rebound and block out. All of his heroes go from being small guards to being big men. Imagine the growing pains you go through if you were Anthony Davis in a year and a half. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, which we've been in a series in the book of Acts over the last seven weeks or so. By the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the early church is in the middle of growing pains. The church has been growing, and they're facing the blessings and the challenges of a rapidly growing body of Christ. There's a great principle that I really want to bracket the entire message with today as we look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And the principle is this, gospel growth always brings blessings, challenges, and opportunities. And so when we read the passage today, we're going to see some great news. The church is growing. Isn't it good when a church grows? But we're also going to see some bad news this morning. The people are complaining. And so I want to preach a message this morning titled, The Challenges of a Church on mission. I, I love preaching through books of the Bible, which is what we do here 
at Story City Church. And when we preach through books of the Bible, we actually get the context of what's going on. And so by the time we get to Acts chapter 6, the church is growing significantly. And so in this passage today, we're going to see how the early church handles its growth problem. While at the same time, they keep the mission of God in front of them and they advance the mission of God. So if you've got a Bible, Acts chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. And we're just going to make our way through the passage today. And we'll eventually get all the way down to verse 7. But let's start in verse 1. And I just want to read actually the first half of verse 1. And it says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So let's pause right there just for a moment. Luke, the author of the book of Acts, says in those days when the number of disciples was increasing. I want to make a couple observations today about the growing pains that churches on mission walk through. And I want to make a couple observations. You got something to write with today? Just take some notes. Put it in your phone. Write it down. If you have your Bible, you can write it in the, in the margin of your Bible. I, would, I just want you to write some notes down today because the subject today can be contentious in churches. But here's the first principle. Gospel growth should always be celebrated and embraced. Gospel growth should always be celebrated and embraced. So just think about where we are at this point in the, in the narrative. Acts chapter 1, verse 5, verse 15, there's 120 disciples. Acts chapter 1, verse 15, there's 120 disciples. When we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, the scripture says there's 3,000 people added to the church and they're being added daily. We get to Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says the number of men in the church the number of men in the church is 5,000. Now, commentators will tell us the church in Jerusalem had grown to the point of being somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 men, women, and children in a, in a city, by the way, that's probably only 40,000 people. The church had experienced significant growth. Just think about it for a moment. When a church grows that big, if you've ever led an organization that grows, think about all the administrative challenges. In leadership challenges, in the ministry problems that are associated with the problems that are enormous at this point. Just caring for the spiritual needs of a church like this is one thing. Not to mention trying to care for the physical needs. So the size of the church here in Acts chapter 6 is creating issues. And it clearly leaves the apostles in a situation where, where they just couldn't meet all the needs. They couldn't handle them. And so not only that, but they... The apostles are having to grow in their administrative abilities and their leadership and their organizational skills while the church is expanding. Now, now hear me out. When churches, when churches begin to talk about, or when, when people begin to talk about church growth, people can get a little sideways. You know what I mean? When you start to talk about church growth, people can get sideways. Some people find it easy to talk about church growth because they focus on reaching people, but other people have a very negative view of churches growing. Why? Because they think it means somehow core principles have been manipulated. Somehow beliefs or practices have been sacrificed in order for a church to grow. But this passage is going to help us think about what to do when a church grows. The question is not whether a church can grow. The, church, the question is not whether a church should grow. That's obvious. This is not the only church in the book of Acts that we see that's literally thousands of people. Commentators believe the church in Ephesus was also thousands of people. So whether you prefer to be a part of a small church 
By the way, technically, Story City is considered a medium-sized church. We were running a little over 400 people before COVID. We're a medium-sized church. So whether you prefer to be a part of a small church or whether you prefer to be a part of a large church, the narrative about the church in Jerusalem here in Acts chapter 6 reminds us this. It's just a preference. It's just a preference. Just because a church is large does not mean that something inherently sinful has happened in order to get there. It doesn't mean there's something inherently wrong about a church that's large. It simply means this. There are challenges in the church that's growing and living on mission. So I want us to be reminded this morning, though, as we see the church in Jerusalem growing, I want us to be reminded about the particular type of growth that the church in Jerusalem was experiencing. The church in Jerusalem was experiencing growth because they were preaching the gospel. Verse 42 of chapter 5 precedes verse 1 of chapter 6. I think that's obvious. And if you remember last week, what happened was Peter and John are roughed up and they're literally abused and beaten because they're preaching the gospel. The people, the religious leaders say, don't preach the gospel anymore. What did Peter and John do? They preached the gospel. Verse 42 tells us they went out in private, they went out in public, and they continued to preach the gospel. The very next verse says, in those days, while the disciples were increasing in number. The type of growth we're talking about here comes because the disciples are preaching the gospel. It also comes because they're doing compassionate ministry. The disciples are not watering down the message. They're not offering gimmicks to get a crowd. They're not standing on billboards. They're not doing any sort of gimmicky things so people show up. And we need to be reminded that oftentimes a church can draw a crowd in a lot of ways. But biblically, a church is only built when people embrace the gospel. And so when we see a church that's experiencing gospel growth, we should celebrate it. If that's what's happening, it's what's happening here in Acts chapter 6, we should celebrate it. Sometimes people are skeptical and they're critical of large churches. And they think, you know what? They must have been unfaithful in some way. They must have compromised some convictions somehow. They must have done something unbiblical in order to grow. But that's not the way Luke sees the church in the book of Acts. It's not how he writes about it. Luke's not critical about large churches here in the book of Acts. In fact, he brackets his entire narrative in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and then in verse 7. He brackets the entire narrative with this idea of increasing numbers. In verse 1, he says the church is increasing in numbers. In verse 7, he says the church increased greatly in numbers. Does that mean Luke's all about the numbers? No. It means the early church counted people. Why? Because people matter. We should count people. We should consider people's stories as mattering as well. We should also want to reach people, more and more people. That's a godly longing. It's a godly longing to reach people. There's an entire book in the Bible, by the way, called, you know what it's called? Numbers. Sometimes there are times when churches are obsessed by the numbers or times when when leaders are building their own kingdoms. There are times when churches are concerned with just building a crowd. But listen to me. If a church has the gospel at the front and the center, we need to rejoice. Why? 
Because that's what the book of Acts tells us. When the gospel is at the front and center of a church, we should rejoice. Why? Because that's what Acts tells us. Listen to just a few excerpts from the book of Acts. Why should we rejoice when the church grows? Because Acts chapter 5 verse 14 tells us, because multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. Because Acts chapter 6 verse 1 tells us, at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, Because Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, the word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. Because Acts chapter 6 verse 7 says, a great number of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Because Acts chapter 9 verse 31 says, the church all throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria continued to increase. Because Acts chapter 9 verse 35 says, all who lived in Lydda and Sharon turned to the Lord because Acts chapter 9 verse 43 says, it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Because Acts chapter 11 verse 21 says, the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. Because Acts eleven twenty four says, considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. Because Acts chapter 16 verse 5 says, churches were increasing in number daily. Because Acts 17 4 says, a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women were persuaded. Because Acts chapter 19 says, all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. What's the lesson here? The lesson is this. We should celebrate gospel growth in churches. We should be a people that desires to see thousands of people come to faith in Christ. It should be a joy to hear. Sometimes we think in churches, we're like, Pastor stands up and, oh my gosh, we've, we've gone from one service to two services. People are like, oh my gosh, we're, we're doing something unbiblical here. What are we doing? I'm going to have to give up my seat. There's too many people here. We, it should be a joy to hear a pastor stand up and say, you know what? We're reaching so many people. We've got to add a third service. Because the gospel matters, it should be a joy to hear a pastor stand up and say, you know what? We've got an opportunity to start a brand new church in a brand new part of our city. We should always celebrate gospel growth. Now, listen, I understand what some of you think. Because sometimes when you think about a large church or you think about a large church growing inherently in your mind, you probably already have issues there. You already go to something that's a challenge or a problem in the church. So so let me just share with you a second lesson on church growth here in this passage. The first lesson is this. We should always celebrate gospel growth. Here's the second lesson. It comes from verse 2. And let me just give it to you. There will always be challenges when churches grow. There will be always be challenges when churches grow. Look at the second half of verse one. In those days when the number of disciples were increasing, let's celebrate gospel growth. Now look, look, we only need the second half of one verse to get to the problems and the challenges. Listen to what it says. The Hellenistic Jews, in other words, they were Greeks who had converted to faith in Christ. The Greeks among them complained. What were they complaining about? Who were they complaining against? The scripture says in verse two, they complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Do you understand this? It really doesn't matter what size the church is. 
It really doesn't matter what size the church is because there's always going to be problems, but especially true in larger churches. Inevitably, somebody's needs are going to be overlooked. You, you understand this, especially if you've grown. I'm, I'm 42 now, and I, I scheduled a physical last month because I'm like, man, there's parts of my body that are starting to ache. They didn't ache 10 years ago. I need to go get it checked out, right? Like every part of growth is not pure growth. When you grow older, there are aches and there's pains and there's challenges. And I want you to see the types of challenges that the early church, the gospel growing church, is dealing with here in Acts chapter 6. So if you have an objection immediately to large churches because you inherently think there's problems and there's challenges and there's issues, well, let me affirm that. There always will be, but especially true in larger churches. Here are the types of challenges that the church in Jerusalem is facing. Number one... They're dealing with sin issues in the church in Jerusalem. They're dealing with sin issues in the church in Jerusalem. So so what was the sin issue? Well, very bluntly, there were racial and ethnic issues in the Jerusalem church. So what we have is we have Jews and we have Greek converts in the church. Now, the Hebrews tended to have this perspective on life where, where they really thought of themselves very highly. They had a high opinion of themselves. The Hellenists, the the Greeks, the Greek converts to Christianity were non-Hebrew people who came to faith in Christ. They tended to have a broader perspective on the world. So these two groups have a long history and it goes back a very long time. And so when Greek thought and, and Greek philosophy and Greek culture grew in the modern world at this time, The Jews tend to think that Greek thought and that Greek culture is threatening Judaism. They thought it was threatening Judaism because of its philosophy. They also thought it was threatening Judaism because of the persecution. And so the Hebrews looked at the Greeks as second-class citizens. So now what we have is we have both groups who've come to faith in Christ, both Jews and Greeks, and they're worshiping together. Imagine that. They're in the same church, and there's racial and there's cultural tension. And so what happens is the Greeks accuse the Hebrews of intentionally overlooking their widows in the distribution of food. So we've got a sin issue going on in the rapidly growing church. There's a second challenge they're facing. And the challenge is this. The challenge is that they're facing human limitations, It's not a sinful challenge here. This is not a sinful challenge. The first one is a sinful challenge. There's racial issues going on. The second challenge is that they're they're simply limited by what they're able to do. It was simply a limitation. So the question is, did the apostles not care for the Greek widows? Of course they cared for the Greek widows. Of course they did. They're just doing so much. They're doing as much as they could possibly do do. And so at this point, there's hundreds and thousands of church members possibly, and there's just a few of them. And so this is probably how they dealt with the issues early on in the early life of the church. I remember when we were just a young church and only a few people, people were coming to our house, and then we moved into a small theater, and there's 40, 50, 60, 70 of us. Tyler and I could go have coffee with every single person in a matter of a month. We could just do it. We could know everybody by name. Early on in the life of the Jerusalem church, this is probably how they dealt with issues in the early days. Peter probably says, hey, you know what? I'm just going to stop by Lydia's house to see if she needs something. 
John says, you know, I got to go out and get dinner anyway. I'll just stop by and see if I can bring Mary something too. At this point in Acts chapter six, though, there's no way the apostles could meet all the physical needs. So if you've ever led a large organization or a growing organization, you know how difficult it is just to keep up with the current problems and the current challenges, much less the new problems that arise. And so the, pro- the apostles say, they throw their hands up and they're like, we cannot do it all. They say, we can't give up praying. We cannot give up preaching, but we know the work needs to be done. Now, they've got unity issues. They've got sin issues. They've got management of people issues. What do they do? Look at verse two, if you have a Bible. This is what they do. Verse two says, so the 12, the apostles, gathered all the disciples together. And they said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Now, hold up right there. This isn't an issue of hierarchy. This is not an issue of position or power or not wanting to do dirty work. This is an issue of gifting and calling and talents and abilities and the delegation of servant leadership and people stepping up and taking responsibility. Now, listen to me real quick. I don't want you to hear this as the apostle saying, you know what? This work is beneath us. (laughs) In fact, the fact that they had gotten so far into this that they recognize the load has gotten so great implies that they were already doing this. They were already serving the widows. They were already waiting on tables. The apostles thought of themselves as servant. Remember, in the upper room, they actually were served by a man named Jesus who washed their feet. So for the last six chapters, these men have been washing feet. They've been waiting on tables, but now they realize, you know what? The load is too heavy. We simply cannot do it all. This would consume our time. And the greatest act of service we can provide to the church is teaching the word of God accurately, seeking God in prayer, training other people to do the same thing. The apostles aren't graduating out of service. They're just focusing on the most effective kind of service. They're calling was to be the certified messengers of the gospel. They would be the ones that would sort out the message of Jesus and what he said. They were called by Jesus to be the ones to to be the final authority to end all debate on who Jesus was. That's why when we get to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what the church is doing. The church is sitting at their feet. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' what? Teaching. They had two primary functions. The book of Mark tells us what Jesus trained them to do. Mark chapter 13, verse 14 says, he appointed, Jesus did, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to do what? To preach and to have the authority to drive out demons. So what were those two functions that they had primarily? Number one is to preach, to herald, to announce the kingdom of God. The second priority was to authenticate the kingdom of God. The essence of their calling was to announce and to authenticate the coming of the kingdom of God. Now listen, so while they're focusing on this specific calling, there are widows who are being neglected. So somebody's got to take over that ministry. Somebody has to oversee 
ministries and churches because that's what they're passionate about. That's what they're called to do. That's what they're gifted for. Now listen to me. And sometimes people have to take over and oversee ministries. Why? Because it just needs to get done. Apostles can't do everything. In fact, they're called to do just a few things. And so there's other people who have specific callings to do specific things in specific ways in the church. Now hear me, church in 2020, there is a unique role for every one of us in the church. There's a unique role for every one of us in the church. There's a role for everyone in the church that lives on mission. So churches that are filled with spectators haven't typically have this problem. They're just overwhelmed with complaints. Well, you didn't meet this need. You didn't do this thing. You didn't do that thing. We need to be reminded today that church is not a spectator event. You don't just come to church to get something. Now, let me encourage you. God has wired you and created you in such a way that you have a unique place in the body of Christ to serve other people. And if you don't exercise that unique opportunity, what happens? Well, the body's going to suffer, and we're all going to experience challenges. And a church that's effectively reaching people is going to have these growing pains. Why? Because there's typically more needs than we can get to. There's typically more needs in the body of Christ that aren't met because all of the body of Christ has not yet been released to specific ministries. Now, just this week, in our own church here in Story City, Los Angeles, California, for those of you who are watching online, we had a a situation where some friends in our church are in need of a couple to come alongside them for marital counseling, for, for wisdom. It just so happens there are several people in our church who have been called and gifted and are passionate about investing in to people wise counsel and wisdom. Not only that, but that couple has identified at least one other couple and probably other couples who they say, you know what, these people could also do the same. And so we as a church have recognized the need to have wise counsel in our church. We've also recognized that people need to be trained. And so we've recognized it to the point where we say, you know what, we're going to actually pay for those people to be trained in that ministry because we need more couples and we need more counselors to meet all of the needs in our church. Now, hear me out. I'm not gifted. And I'll go even so far as to say, I'm not actually passionate about fulfilling that ministry role. And if you come to me for counsel, I'm happy to do it. I do it every single week. But I'm probably not the best person to offer that to you week after week after week. But let me tell you what I am passionate about. I am passionate about equipping some of you and releasing you to take on that type of ministry. And God's called some of you to do that. We're just waiting for you to raise your hand. Everyone in this church should serve in some way. This church, this church. I'm not talking about the church in Jerusalem. I'm not talking about the church 
in another city. I'm talking about this church. Everybody in this church should serve. Pastor, how do you know where to serve? Can I give you three thoughts? Number one, you should find a place of skill. What am I good at? What am I good at doing? Some of you are technically skilled. Some of you are skilled in conversation. Some of you are skilled in different ways. What am I good at? Secondly, you need to find a place of passion. What is it that I like to do? I love to do kids ministry. I love to do counseling. I love to do setup and use my hands. Thirdly, you need to find a place of great need. Now hear me. Where are the gaps in the church? Let me just make a comment on this last one. Sometimes you serve simply because there's a need. I'm not sure that waiting on tables was a specific passion or a skill for Stephen. We're about to see here, he's going to take over that ministry, and I'm not confident that that was actually a specific passion of his. I say that because while we have lots of people in our church, and lots of churches have lots of people who do serve, we still have people who don't serve. And I don't know the motivation, and sometimes people need a season of rest but sometimes there may be people who don't serve because they think it's beneath them or it's inconvenient. Well, I just don't think my talents and my ability and my teaching ability and, and my general awesomeness are properly appreciated here. Serving in hospitality, serving in kids' ministry, that, that, that's pretty below my talent level. Well, I'm sure that waiting on tables probably felt below Stephen as well, but he did it. Why? Because there was a need. It needed to be done. I think I'm pretty confident in saying, I can assure you that washing feet was probably below Jesus as well. We never have a record in scripture. We never have a quote from Jesus who said, you know what? I've never felt so alive as when I'm washing other people's stinky, nasty feet. But he did it because he wanted to serve. You should make room in your life particularly here in the church, to do the things that don't necessarily thrill you. Why? So you can maintain the role of a servant. That's all of us, from pastors to attenders. Now, there are problems with the church that's growing and is on mission. We should celebrate gospel growth. I want you to see how the apostles respond to the challenges. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you, who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And the apostles say, we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we're going to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so verse 5 says, this proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And also they go on to name six other people. It's important to know that the six other people that they name here are all Greeks. The problem was the Greek people said, you know what? We have a problem. We're being overlooked here. The church says we acknowledge that. They appointed six Greek men to oversee the church. There is a multi-ethnicity in the early church. Verse 6, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so there are problems, there are issues, and this is how they respond. They choose people to oversee the ministry, but they didn't just choose people to oversee ministry who raised their hand. 
There was a process. There was a selection. There was a criteria for people who oversaw ministry. There was at least three known criteria. The first one was this, and we're almost done. The first was that they had a reputation. They had a reputation. It says, choose from among you those who are known. If you have a reputation, it implies that you are known. I would be willing to bet that there are people in our church here today, people who are watching online. There are people sitting in Pickwick Gardens today. There are people in our church, like there are in every church, that have an excellent reputation. But they're just not known. And so the church needs to provide platforms for people being known. Part of it's your responsibility of being known, but then there's a tremendous part that we have to provide a platform for you to be known. So how do we provide platforms at Story City Church? Number one, we provide the platform of community groups. You may not know this, but as pastors, oftentimes we have issues or challenges or we have needs or we have ways we want to serve the body. For example, when we took up money for the coronavirus relief fund, we went to our community group leaders and we said, who do you know in your community group that has a need that we can meet? One of the ways we provided an opportunity for you to be known is through a community group. Another way is easy serve opportunities. Laura, our kids, city kids director, hosted an incredible event yesterday. By the way, if you went to that event, my kids did. They said it was awesome. Our team did a great job. It was down to the wire, though, trying to find volunteers who didn't need a specific skill. They just needed to show up, and we could tell them this is what needs to get done. Those, that's one of the ways we provide opportunities. And then we provide opportunities on Sunday morning. And through the platform of being known, listen, a reputation can be recognized. If we don't know you, we want to know you. If we don't know your name, if we don't know your story, we want you to be known in this church. Why? Because your story matters. There's a place for you here. Let me tell you practically how we would like to get to know you. Begin to get to know you if you think we don't. Just this week, we set up an email account. And we'd like to hear from you and about you. So we'd love for you to drop us a line. Tell us a little bit about your story, and one of our staff has been assigned to receive that email if you give us permission on Tuesday morning. So if you email today or tomorrow, or even if you email this week, it'll be next Tuesday. But today or tomorrow, on Tuesday morning, we would love if you'll give us permission to read your story in our staff meeting. So it's very simple. You can just email us a part of your story. It can be two lines. It can be two paragraphs. You can email us at hello at storycitychurch.com. Hello at storycitychurch.com. The second criteria for selecting leadership to oversee ministry was being full of the Holy Spirit. This is really the entire book of Acts. From Acts chapter 1, we see it all the way through Acts chapter 28. It's, it's spirit-filled believers who are living on mission. It starts with being spirit-filled. We all have these influences in our life that have the potential to control us. But may I ask you this morning, is the spirit of the living God controlling your life? Do you listen to the Spirit of God? Does the Spirit of God refrain you at times? Does the Spirit of God lead you to make decisions at times in your life? That's the second criteria. The first is having a reputation. The second is being full of the Holy Spirit. The third criteria is wisdom. It's the ability to apply biblical truth to the situations that we face. In other words, 
these seven men were known to have known the scriptures. And it could be a lot of different things. They were known to know the scripture. Not only know the scriptures, they applied the scriptures. So how did they apply? Well, we don't exactly know, but it could have been a lot of things. They could apply the scriptures to their finances. They could apply the scriptures to the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They could have applied the scriptures to their family life. All we know is they had the wisdom to know what scripture says and listen, and to do it. And that's the criteria that the apostles say, we want to put those types of people in charge of overseeing ministry. And so let me just sum up what happened here in these last couple verses, because it's important for us, especially in the church that's experiencing gospel growth, and this is it. We need to protect biblical priorities. What are biblical priorities in the church? Well, number one, it's preaching the gospel. We need to protect that. We need to protect the ability for those who preach the gospel to continue preaching the gospel. We need to protect the biblical priorities of caring for those who have needs. Secondly, we need to make wise decisions. Thirdly, we need to share ministry responsibilities. Now let me close here. We're going to look at verse 7 and we'll be done. Because they protected the biblical priorities of preaching the gospel and caring for people, because they made wide decisions, because they delegated servant leadership. Watch what happens. I don't know if you know this, but if you're here every week, if you tune in every week, if you are here with us, which by the way, we'll be here next week, so come back. We'll be here the week after, October the 11th, so come back. If you're watching and you live in LA, you're not here, just a quick commercial. Come be with us in Pickwick Gardens the next two weeks. But if you pay attention in the book of Acts, which we continue the next two weeks, You notice they come back always, always, always to the mission of God. That's how the passage ended last week. They were committed to the mission of God. Listen to what happened in verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I would like to preach a message just on that last half of verse 7. But because they protected biblical priorities, because they experienced wise delegation, the use of gifts, servant leadership, what happened? The mission of God continued to move forward. We're in a transition here at Story City Church. If you're new, you may not understand what's happening, but we're in a transition. We're about to go through new leadership in our church. God forbid... We stall the mission of God in that transition and just focus on ourselves. Whoever takes my place, it's my prayer, they're going to press the mission of God forward. It's my prayer for you that you don't let the problems and the challenges and the issues stop the mission of God from moving forward. It's my prayer that we don't get so stuck on us and who we are and what we just need internally that we forget to see the mission of God. Why did we start the book of Acts? Because I knew this transition was coming and because I wanted the church to see the priority on the mission of God. The church solves the problem. The church preaches the gospel, and more people are converted. Now, let me close. One pastor described what we see here 
in these seven verses. One pastor describes it like this. Now listen to me. He said, we should probably consider this the normal church pattern. Preach, pray, grow, anticipate drama, manage the drama, pray, keep preaching, and then get ready for more drama. When it hits, keep praying. (laughs) I love that. That's so good. Because the church is going to grow and be on mission. We're going to have all these problems, but it doesn't need to stop the priority of the mission of God advancing in the city of Los Angeles. Now, may I close by saying we need to seek the salvation of everyone. That's why we planted Story City Church. Some of you are here because you came from other churches and we're grateful for that. The church could not exist without believers. The priority of planting a church in Los Angeles and then a second church in Los Angeles and funding the church plants of five other churches in our city, giving away 10% of our money every single year is the priority of seeking the salvation of everyone. I'd just love to preach a message on the second half of that verse. It says the great number, a large number of the priests became obedient to the faith. If you remember back to last week, many of those priests who now come to faith in Jesus Christ were some of the ones who were telling Peter and John, literally brutalizing them, beating them, telling them, stop preaching and teaching in the name of Jesus. Seven verses later, those priests have bowed their knee. They've admitted and fessed up to their sin, and they've allowed Jesus to save them. Church, I don't ever want to get away from the fact that God can save anyone, anywhere, at any time. And we need to celebrate gospel-centered growth. We also need to realize there are challenges in a church being on mission, but we also need to do this. We need to give grace to each other. We need to make wise decisions. We need to take on ministry responsibilities when there are needs. So we're going to keep preaching the gospel at Story City. We're going to see people come to faith in Jesus. And we're going to continue to live on mission And we're going to continue to watch Jesus build his church. Amen? If you agree with that, would you say amen? I can't hear you online, but let me just try to hear you online. Would you say amen if you agree with that? Let's pray together. We're going to take communion together. If you're online, I just want to encourage you to take this moment to grab something that resembles the blood of Jesus in the form of juice, something that resembles the body of Jesus in the form of bread. And we've got that here for everyone in their own individual pockets. Jesus, thank you today again for the reminder of the mission of God. God, may we celebrate gospel growth. Jesus, I beg you, in Jesus' name, may this church never be a church that only focuses on ourselves, but we continue to advance the gospel forward. May we celebrate it. May we solve the problems that are inevitable. May we continue praying and preaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.